Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is created on the traditional lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumseh-Sequepan territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequepan-Ulu. And today we have no territorial acknowledgement because we are heading over to the UK. We're crossing the <laughs> pond to talk about Heartstopper by Alice Oseman. Uh, and the series that has taken Netflix by storm in the last little oh while. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> folks, you've been waiting for this episode and it is finally here and everything is cute. It's the cutest. It's really, really cute. It's really heartwarming and lovely and mm-hmm. you can just snuggle into it. And the same is true of the comics. And uh, yeah. So anyway, yeah. Joe, what are we doing next week? <laughs> More or less, right? Uh, I'll admit I've almost been surprised at how much this has taken off, but I do have some ideas, particularly about the show. Like, I'm interested to hear your perspective on the comic because I know you were a fan of this well before it ever became announced to be an adaptation. But coming to this very late in the game, after everybody had already watched or binged all eight of these episodes, this thing is a big old cultural phenomenon, and I'm kind of surprised, but also not surprised. Yeah, and I think, you know, we'll get into this a little bit also when we talk about Love, Victor, I guess, in the next couple of weeks. But mm-hmm. I, I'm i learning, Joe, I think I've learned this from you. I'm learning oh. to become skeptical of queer media that I, as a cisgender white lady who is straight, mm-hmm. really enjoy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like... Who is this made for? And what boundaries mm-hmm. is it pushing? And if the answer is none, and for me, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it it makes it easy for things to take off in a really rich mm-hmm. cultural way. But I, I often wonder if, you know, it's as resonant as it could be, maybe. Bull spoiler alert, folks. We're not going to come down hard on this show. We both no, we really enjoyed it. it. But yeah. there are some things that I just want to, like, pick a little bit at. Um, yeah. But first, maybe, Brenna, let's talk about exactly what Heartstopper is. Yes. Okay. So Heartstopper, again, by Alice Oseman, it began as a web comic starting mm-hmm. in 2016. Um, and it gained, like, massive following. And Oseman actually self-published, like, a physical print copy of oh, the... Okay. Um, of the original webcomic, the first two chapters of it. And then that was like a hugely successful Kickstarter. I think it got funded in less than two hours. It was kind of astonishing. And so, of course, mainstream publishing was like, money? Oh, hello. Money? (laughs) What? (laughs) And so um, she signed a book deal. Osman signed a book deal with Hachette Publishing in 2018, I think. And they acquired the rights to that original Kickstarted book, plus the rights to the third and fourth volumes of um, the novel. And I, mm-hmm. there is a fifth volume coming, and I presume it is also with Hachette, but I'm not 100% sure. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because uh, obviously we read the first two volumes for today's episode, because that's about what covers the first season of the TV show. Yeah. So when it got renewed for seasons two and three, I was like, what are they going to do this on? Because they're going to run out of source material. Yes, I think that's true. And in fact, the series has really sort of accelerated through 
I mean, it's basically told the stories of, as you said, volume one and two, but it, it picks up things from some of the other volumes. So yeah, I don't know. Mm. They may run into a whole Game of Thrones type situation. <laughs> the good news is that Alice Oseman is the writer of the series as well. So I guess yes. if anybody is in a position to create more content, you know, it's her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't have to worry that she's going to muck it up because she created the whole darn thing. <laughs> So should I talk a little bit about what the series is about? I feel like this is yeah. going to be kind of light, but I'm going to try. Uh, let's go for it. Okay. So um, Heartstopper is the story of uh, two boys, Charlie Spring and Nick Nelson. Charlie is out at his school, and it's been a hard time for him. It's an all-boys school, and he was not met with the welcome embrace of his school community. And so he's he's a year out from coming out, but he's still bears some some scars from that experience for sure mm -hmm. and the other half of our love story that's probably a spoiler but here we are um is <laughs> if you saw the promo image or the covers <laughs> then you've already been spoiled um is nick nelson so nick nelson is a rugby lad at school and he's friends with a lot of the kids who used to bully charlie although he mm -hmm. himself is not a bully but he has definitely been a bystander in the past right and the two of them fall in like and then love. And it's mm -hmm. awfully sweet. And we have a background cast of characters who also have really lovely stories of their own. Um, we have Charlie's best friends, Tao and Elle. And we have Nick's rugby boys who sort of slowly come to be whole human beings over the course of the series. Mm -hmm. um, and there's not really much more to it than that they have different adventures in each of the the volumes so in volume one they sort of become friends in volume two nick starts to fall in love with charlie and wonders about his sexuality in volume three they take a trip to paris and that's sort of when everything kind of comes out to the school right volume four is primarily about nick deciding to come out to his absent dad and Charlie's eating disorder, which is sort of teased in volumes two and three, but becomes a real plot point in volume four. Um, and yeah, volume five is is expected next winter. So I, I really like this series. I think the range of characters is interesting. I think it has a diverse approach to queerness, if maybe not sort of racial and cultural diversity to a great extent. Mm -hmm. It's pleasurable to read kind of in the same way that Giant Days is pleasurable to read. There's something about right. these sort of quiet, domestic British teen stories that I'm a sucker for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that struck me the most was... It's actually more the look of the book as opposed mm. to the story. The story I did find very conventional. It's a lot of boys kissing and boys <laughs> being intimate and to the point where you sometimes wonder how anyone could mistake what the pair of them are up to after they develop a friendship <laughs> because they're it's so, so close. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, uh, using a menu to hide the fact that you're kissing in a very public place would not cut it. I'm just saying everyone would know exactly what you're up to. Yes, exactly. And, you know, in many ways, this is another, much like the Becky Albertelli universe of queerness, mm -hmm. this is another one of those stories that is, there's a lot of wish fulfillment here. Like, yes. the boys do encounter negative scenarios, but that's not what this story is about by any stretch mm -mm. of the imagination this story is a romance and it really centers on the happy which you know 
it's it's great. Like it's really nice to read. Yeah. Yeah, there there's gentle challenges, but they all feel like mere speed bumps en route to a happy ending. I'm imagining that's what a lot of people are responding to, right? But you were saying it's the visual signature of the series that you really like. Yeah, so I think one of the things that I wound up really appreciating is the way that the dialogue bubbles are sort of drawn and like the the range of the size of the font to indicate, you know, different feelings, the way that Oaksman does like little hearts and stars to connote feelings that reminded me a little bit of anime and manga. And mm-hmm. I thought that it was an interesting blend of... I want to say animation, but I guess it's more appropriately drawing. Yeah, the School Library Journal, in their review of Volume 1, they referred to the visual style as adorkable, (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of apt. Like, in many ways, it feels like, I mean, it isn't. Like, Charlie has no artistic talent that we know about. He's a drummer. But Mm -hmm. um, it feels like this is Charlie's diary that Charlie himself has drawn sometimes. There's something very synergistic about the artistic style and the the characterization in this book right yeah it's also nice because alice oseman doesn't use like a traditional panel structure so there's a lot of movement and a lot of dynamism in the in the imagery which is i think really important because as we as we've said and we'll probably keep saying it's a really quiet little story right Mm -hmm. so without that dynamic visual approach i think it would feel often very static like there's just a lot of like teenagers lying around bedroom floors talking right which is endearing but it means that oseman's visual style does a lot of the heavy lifting and keeping us engaged with sort of what's happening on the page Hmm. i think it also helps with the readability in general like these are very very fast reads and i think in part you're right it's because there isn't actually that much happening like it's kids going to school kids going on dates like kids lying around but even something like when you see the way that a text message exchange is documented versus what we see of charlie and nick say when they go to the park for a date it's very strikingly different so you know kind of where to direct your visual attention and Mm -hmm. the moments where they're together and they're just kind of swooning and they're you know having these meet cute exchanges I find that that all flows really quickly so you can feel like oh I'm falling in love as quickly as the pair of them are Mm -hmm. and it is quick their relationship I mean there's a lot of will they won't they but really we know we are all in on a romance by the end of the first volume. And so we get a lot of time spent in the rest of the volumes just learning about their relationship, their dynamic with each other, which is kind of nice. I mean, so Mm -hmm. many queer narratives that we've read kind of take you up to the moment of the meet-cute or take you up to the moment of the, yes, I will go out with you. Right. And here, instead, what we get is like the whole span of a relationship, which... I think that's something that folks respond to in Heartstopper is getting to spend so much time inside this queer relationship instead of it being kind of the happy ending. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and getting there doesn't feel like a series of impossible hurdles. Mm. You know, we know what the inevitable outcome will be. You said it's a will they, won't they, and I was more like, uh, it's a when will they as opposed to <laughs> a won't they. <laughs> it's true. It's a will they, when they. <laughs> Yeah, but 
I think that's what makes it different from a lot of other queer media is like we always know where these stories are going to end up. They're either going to end up in heartbreak or they're going to end up with a kind of happy ending. And it's just what creators feel like is going to cause the most tension or drama. And here the stakes are so slight. It's, ooh, is Charlie going to get in trouble when he goes with Nick to the movies? Like, and you know, it's a really traumatic scene because there's a lot of trauma embedded in Charlie's coming out at the hands of these boys. Mm -hmm. And yes, it leads to a physical altercation, but it also feels like the gentlest physical altercation. And it really just becomes a moment for Nick to have a moment with his mother where she realizes, hmm, my sensitive boy is really feeling strongly about this other sensitive boy. I wonder what's going on. Um, big love for Nick's mom, just across the board. She's she's a mom of the year, I think, in the series. One of the things I noticed, you know, coming back to that that gentleness that you describe, I think... I think Osman's visual style is soft, right? Mm -hmm. And so I really realized this, and I'm not jumping ahead to the adaptation, but just to draw a comparison, I really noticed it in the scene with, oh, is his name Ben? The awful yes. previous yeah. makeout buddy. Mm -hmm. The scene where he and Charlie have a physical altercation when he basically forces himself on Charlie and mm -hmm. Nick rescues him, that is so much more upsetting in the TV series than it yeah. was for me in the comic. Like in the comic, I knew it was an, an awful moment, but there's something very soft, gentle, sort of diffuse about Osman's visual style mm -hmm. that for me, it was almost shocking the impact that it had on me in the TV series. And I, I kind of realized how traumatic that moment was, like in retrospect, having watched it in the series. So I think Osman's style works to make this a really sort of cozy feeling kind of read. Mm -hmm. But it can be, and I like it, it's not really a criticism, but it can be a bit one note. Like, I don't think it's particularly impactful in those more traumatic scenes. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that. I feel like I have two responses to it. One is that the accelerated speed of reading the volumes, it works for the romance and it works less for some of the hurdles or the mm -hmm. conflicts because there is a certain amount of like one noteness to Heartstopper. I found uh, so I've only read up to the end of the second volume and it treads a lot of the same ground over and over mm -hmm. again. So when you get to some of the conflicts, it feels a little bit of like a been there, done that kind of deal. Like mm -hmm. we do it with Ben, then we do it with charlie's friends at the birthday party then we do it with nick's friends at the movie and it feels like we're hitting a lot of the same beats now mm -hmm. thinking about why it maybe went down more smoothly with that scene with ben and nick ending up rescuing charlie i found the the style of drawing for nick in particular to be it sounds ridiculous to say but almost like a gentle giant where he's very round in the way that he's mm. depicted like he's tall mm -hmm. clearly but he also he seems plump and like mm -hmm. squeezable like he's mm -hmm. almost like a stay puff marshmallow man <laughs> in that way so like he's watching him bear, barrel down right? a hallway he's like a teddy bear so watching him barrel down a hallway you're like oh okay cool and then when you actually have to see a real person embody that on the tv mm. show it just lands differently and also mm -hmm. 
I don't think that Kit Connor has the same height as I maybe mm-hmm. expected when I read the comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's sort of, he towers over Charlie in the comic in yeah. really endearing ways, but it's, mm-hmm. they're much more, they're much more similar in, in stamp and stature in the TV series for sure. Yeah. Uh, do we maybe want to transition over to the TV show? I feel like we maybe have a bit more to say there because they're drawing from a deeper catalog from Osman, but also they do make a few changes. Yeah, I do want to make one more observation about the book. And that is, you know, I've said that I feel like this isn't sort of super um, edgy. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a bit conservative in, in its depictions in that it's a very palatable queerness, like a queerness that's very palatable to straight audiences. But mm-hmm. I do want to say that I think, particularly given the political climate in the UK, um, Osman's choice to include Elle's story. Um, so Elle is a trans character. She's a trans girl. And it's post, like, we've talked about this before, that oftentimes these stories tend to center on the moment of transition. And what we have mm-hmm. here instead is Elle has transitioned and she has changed schools to go to a girl's school and now it's about her burgeoning love story with Tao and I think that given the political context in the UK I think that's a really nice inclusion Mm -hmm. it's a really lovely storyline it's not sort of steeped in trauma and I think that it's worth just mentioning that that storyline is there and that it's quite pleasurable to read yeah it definitely didn't show up in the same way that i was expecting in the tv show because i actually Mm -hmm. watched the tv show first and then Mm -hmm. read the comic and it was interesting to see that clearly oaksman realized oh i've got this great character i need to include her earlier when Mm -hmm. they were making the tv show and i think it's actually one of the smartest decisions that gets made because when l appears in the comics i think it's not even really until volume two and -hmm. it feels like a oh this is an important person in my life i've never mentioned or referenced her until now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's got this kind of tension about the fact that Elle's leaving of the school really did probably coincide with Charlie's being bullied. And so it's sort of like there's this whole period that we don't have access to, but is clearly really important to all of these characters. Mm -hmm. So I think Osman has made a conscious decision here not to root these stories in trauma or not to spend a lot of time in that. And God knows you can go to the YA section and get any Mm -hmm. number of (laughs) traumatic YA coming out queer trans stories. So I I totally get what she's doing. And and the choice to really make this a series about joy, I think, is concrete. But it does mean that we're missing that backstory (laughs) often. Uh, And I think that that backstory, you know, it's about it's about Elle leaving Truman, but it's also about Charlie's bullying there. And I. I feel like this, you know, don't be that audience member. But like, I would read a prequel about the experiences that they both had last year. Like, I just I want to know more. Yeah, it's very challenging because I'm with you that in some ways, I really don't want that because we've seen it so often. But so much of who Charlie and Elle are is steeped in their experience that we only hear about tangentially. And I think that actually speaks to how we've said, oh, it feels like there's just lighter stakes here because Mm -hmm. we haven't seen the hardship. So we, I don't want to say that we feel their joy less because there is so much joy in the comic, but 
it makes it harder for us to understand why the good things that they're experienced now feel so hard one for them. Like we just take yeah. it and we accept it and we're like, yeah, okay. Yay. Joy. Yay. <laughs> there is one point where um, it's towards the end. I think it might be the last or the second last episode in the TV series, but it happens also in volume I think maybe three of the comic. Um, but there's this moment where Charlie says to Nick, I never thought this would happen for me. Mm. And you only know that intellectually in the context of the comic, because right. you've been told that Charlie is ostracized or has been, but you haven't really seen it, right? I don't know. I think it's a hard thing that Osman's trying to do, and I ultimately appreciate it. But there is there is just a lot of richness that we don't have access to as a result. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, you you've now segued into the TV show, so let's go there and talk a little bit more about that. Yay! Hypothetically, what sort of boy do you want to go out with? Happy New Year to a boy. Well, if it isn't Charlie Spring, Happy New Year. You're over there, Mr. Nicholas Nelson. Nick Nelson. He is the star player on the rugby team. We are a trio of borderline outcasts. He's different. Hey. It's literally just another silly crush. It's not a crush. Hi. 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 Come on. Dream guy. I don't know. Just someone I can have a laugh with. He's the straightest person I have ever seen. Thank you. How do I stop liking someone? Specifically a straight guy. Uh, the question for the ages. I had something I wanted to ask you. Do you want to go out with me? Do you want to join the rugby team? What? Why are the other team literal adult men? So, does anyone remember the rules of rugby? Gay for them. <laughs> What's going on? Nick's lost all his friends. He's getting into fights. Do you ever feel like you're only doing things because everyone else is, and you're scared to change? Just miss how things used to be with the four of us. You're a good friend. I know. If he is even slightly mean to you, you'll murder him. I have to say, I sent him a strongly worded DM, but that is fine too. Okay, so Heartstopper, written entirely by Alice Oseman, directed entirely by Euros Lin. Interestingly enough, Euros Lin is a, is a male director who has done a number of YA adaptations, including an episode of, former episode, His Dark Materials. Mm. So the TV show stars principally up-and-comers, like people who haven't really done much apart from this. So I think that's contributing to the feeling of freshness that we're getting mm -hmm. from the series. So we have Kate Connor as Nick, Joe Locke as Charlie, William Gao as Tao, Yasmin Finney as Elle, and just in case people were wondering, yes, Yasmin Finney is in fact a trans girl and... Very exciting. She's going to be appearing on the Doctor Who 60th anniversary. So just a Ooh, quick fun thing for her. Uh, we have Toby Donovan as Isaac, who is a renamed character of Albin from the comics. 
And then some of our supporting folks, we've got Corinna Brown as Tara, Kizzy Edgel as Darcy, Tara's girlfriend. They're the two girls that uh, Elle ends up friending at her new school after a protracted period of finding it difficult to make connections. Then we have Sebastian Croft as Ben, who is, as you mentioned, Charlie's first questionable in quotation boyfriend Mm -hmm. aka the dude who is questioning his own sexuality but just uses charlie for makeout sessions Mm -hmm. we also have cormac hyde corin as harry who is the kind of antagonist of the show he is the the belligerent friend who drops the f-bomb and he's just principally mean to both charlie and uh tau Mm mm-hmm then we have uh, Jenny Walzer as Tori or Victoria. That's Charlie's sister. And she gets all of the best eye acting in the TV show. I love the way she just sort of floats in and out of scenes. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. There's something very um, embodied in the older sister representation here. I like it. Yes, I also like it. And it, it's delightful when you see it in the comic as well. But I think the TV show gets to kind of play it up in a bigger fashion. So it landed better for me. Mm-hmm. Agreed. We also have Rhea Norwood as Imogen, who is a girl who has a crush on Nick, and that confuses everyone because everyone thinks, oh, well, Nick has this girl who's interested, or they're going steady. And uh, she even sort of, I guess, propagates that rumor by telling people that they're going out, even though Nick has never said anything to that level. And then finally, we have our adults. So we have. Faseo Akinad as Mr. Aji, and he is the arts teacher who basically provided a safe haven to Charlie during the year when he was being really badly bullied. Mm -hmm. He's also a a queer older man, so Charlie repeatedly goes to him for advice in honestly a not appropriate fashion. (laughs) Yeah, totally not appropriate. Uh, We have Chetna Panda as Coach Singh, who is uh, the rugby coach and obviously gets a lot to do when Charlie joins Nick as a member of the rugby team. Then we have Stephen Fry as the voice of the headmaster at the school. And finally, MVP Olivia Coleman as Nick's mom, Sarah. And I'm not going to lie, I could have done with a whole lot more of Olivia Coleman, but I think it's mostly just because I love her. I love her too. She's amazing. I feel like Stephen Fry was criminally underused. I really wanted more voice of the headmaster (laughs) if we're going to do that because the episode where he is in it the most, the sports day episode, Mm -hmm. he is genuinely hilarious. And I was like, why weren't we getting, why don't we have a headmaster announcement at least every episode, if not more? It's so good. It almost feels like we had Stephen Fry for a limited amount of time, so we decided yes. we were going to make best use of him in this one episode. Um, I do think it's worth mentioning that Coach Singh is also queer, and I think that, you know, the comic does a good job of sort of setting up a world where there are actually a lot of supports for Charlie in particular, but for Nick mm-hmm. as well, right. as they navigate this world. It sometimes feels when you're reading the comic like every adult is queer because the parents have so little to do um, Mm -hmm. in most of the volumes. And then here in the TV series, we expand that out so that the voice of Headmaster is like famously gay Stephen Fry, right? right? And so there's a real kind of safety that wraps the world of this school. So again, even though you know about the bullying and even though we meet Harry, all of the adults 
are really safe places to land in right. in this first season. I think that's going to get more complicated as we get more of Charlie's mom in the second season because she's a more complicated mom character in the comic yeah, series. Okay. But at least in this first season, it's like everywhere they land will be safe. And that's... Mm-hmm. It's kind of nice, right? It's kind of nice to watch this show with very little kind of panic or fear as you watch these characters move through the world. Yeah. So as we teased, uh, obviously Elle is far more of a significant character in this first season. So we actually get to spend a lot of time not with Charlie and Nick. And mm-hmm. I think that that helps to make it seem like it's less of a two boys fall in love and the entire world is all about them. Like this actually mm-hmm. feels like a sort of properly fleshed out universe. I say that with some hesitancy because it's really unclear to me about the geography between the two schools. Cause like Imogen clearly goes to school with Elle and Tara and Darcy. And yet she is always hanging out with the boys. And I'm like, is the two schools like five minutes apart? Because if so, why isn't Elle hanging out at the school more often, like even at lunch or something like that? Yeah, that part really doesn't make sense. (laughs) Because I think they share a campus, but if they do share a campus, then why? Yeah, why is Elle so... I mean, is it it just that she is so traumatized from Truem that she won't go back over there? And if so, flesh that out too, Yeah, there there's definitely work to be done with Elle's character, because uh, the other big thing to me was that it was never clear who knew what about her status when she yes. transfers over to the new school. Like, you get this insinuation that her form room teacher knows about her transition, because she's very adamant about wanting to push Elle into making friends and fitting in and being like, don't isolate yourself. That's dangerous. And yet there's never a moment like, I don't think Elle actually ever says anything about who she is now. Like she doesn't say anything about her authentic self. She's just like the new girl. And yeah, part of me thought that that was really daring and like just of the moment, right? Like, yeah, you're going to meet people and they're not going to say, hi, I'm so-and-so, I just recently transitioned and that's why I'm coming to this school. Like, that's Mm -hmm. not the lived experience of queer youth. And yet, as a viewer, I think the show almost takes Elle for granted in that capacity. Like, I shouldn't have to wait multiple episodes to realize why she's important and how her journey mirrors that of Charlie. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I think in both cases, this comes down to Osman not really being sure how to tell that story. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we've had this conversation before about like own voices and the role of own voices and what's most significant and how you tell a story. And I don't really want to rehash all of that here, but what we have here is inclusion. Yay. Like Mm -hmm. thumbs up and good inclusion. I think ultimately good inclusion. And the fact that in casting, they went with a trans girl actor, I think is important and amazing. Right. But also I don't know if Alice Oseman is confident in telling that backstory. And sometimes it feels like it's getting hand waved away because of that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause even as we were talking about the comic, 
it almost felt to me like she realized, oh, I should have a different type of queer character in here. And that's when Elle gets introduced in the second volume. Mm -hmm. Which is not to say that every queer story needs to have, you know, checkboxes like one gay male, one trans <laughs> girl. Like, it, I'm not advocating for that. But some parts of the comic felt less organic. Like it was really about Charlie and Nick and their love story. And then with the TV show, it's like, nope, we have a greater responsibility to accurately reflect the diversity of these queer experiences. And that's why I think it's great that Elle is in there. But also, I would welcome some improvements in, in exploring yeah. that story, even especially even and especially as we move forward with her and Tao's romance. Because honestly also very super cute so super cute i really like them together i like how much tao's mom loves l mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> i do think while we're talking about sort of the diversity of queer experience in the book because i shouted that out at the beginning right i was like yay diversity of queer experience mm -hmm. um one thing that i think that the comic does really well and i i feel like has been downplayed in season one of the series is the fact that nick is bisexual right. and Nick's bisexuality, I think, is particularly interesting, important from a representation perspective, yeah. because mm -hmm. he is like the jock character, right? Right. And so the fact that, you know, I think male bisexuality is really under-explored oh, in the media yes. mm -hmm. generally. And so to have it be like the star player on the rugby team who comes out as bisexual, I think, is is really important. It takes longer for Nick to explore the idea of bisexuality in the TV series than it does in the books. And so I was sort of intrigued by that choice to delay it. It seems like a very straightforward gay love story for about right. the first three episodes. Yeah. And so I thought that was interesting. And I, I wanted a bit more of that, I think, from the TV series. Although, you know, it can't do everything. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm aware. Yeah, it, it's interesting if for no other reason than the TV show is a really good adaptation. Like you can tell that the creator is involved because it feels very reverent in the right ways, but also it is making some fairly savvy choices. And yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll confess that I had less of an issue with it again, I think because I watched the TV show first. So I was like, Oh, okay, cool. He's not, a gay man he's a bisexual man and it just takes him that extra beat to say i need to do another night of all night internet searches to figure <laughs> out what kind of queer i am <laughs> and that was fine for me i think at the end of the day the show gets there even if it does mm -hmm. take that extra like oh we're gonna dedicate another episode to nick just being sort of confused in his bedroom mm-hmm yeah, no, I don't think it's anything to sort of declaim the show about. I just found it an interesting delay. Um, and the other piece that I think gets more set up in the comics, but I would actually defer to you, Joe, because I've read them all and I'm not mm -hmm. always sure what has happened where, is I think there's more setup of Charlie's eventual eating disorder in volume one and two of the comics than there is in the, in the series. There's one reference where... Charlie says, I think it's in episode seven, Charlie says, oh, I don't want to eat with everyone. And there's like sort of a side comment about it. But one mm -hmm. of the things that you learn in the series, the book series, 
is that Charlie's basically eaten all his meals in secret for like the last year. And he has real anxiety around like people seeing him eat. And he begins to realize that he does have an eating disorder, which again, I think, you know, very rare to see media explorations of male disordered eating. So I think that's really important too. I'm just interested to see how it gets developed in the TV series because it's a very slow, gradual build to realizing Mm -hmm. something's wrong in the comics. And it looks like the TV series is starting to head in that direction, but I'll be curious to see how it happens. Yeah, that's actually really fascinating because I was not picking up on that. The way that I was interpreting, because there are repeated mentions of Charlie eating by himself in the art room. And I took that to be symptomatic of the bullying where he just needed to be away from other people. So I wouldn't have even clued in that it was part of an eating disorder if you hadn't said that. It's such a slow build and it's in volume for I think that Charlie finally actually gets help. Mm. So yeah, the build is really, really slow. And it's sort of part of the complication of their relationship in the comic series is that it's not, they're kind of codependent with each other. And Oh, sure. Yeah. Nick is like obsessed with sort of fixing Charlie's eating disorder. And there's another, another Nick's mom MVP moment in, in the fourth volume where she's like, you can't. You can't like, that's fix That's not someone. <laughs> how relationships work. You just have to be there. Right. Which is also really lovely. So, yeah. Anyway, there's more good Nick's mom content. That's really what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah. So I'm curious. The, the big distinction that I made between the comic and the TV show is actually the increased prominence of Tao. And I'm curious mm-hmm. to talk about how you feel about the character. Because I found him aggravating in all the right ways like Mm -hmm. he is so defensive of charlie because he was charlie's number one advocate throughout the bullying and i feel like that comes through so strongly even though i can imagine there's a lot of people who get really frustrated with the character because he is ultimately also the one who often stands in the way of nick and charlie's relationship it's interesting because the tv show leaves out one layer of tau's relationship with charlie That is that, yes, Tao was the supporting character who looked after Charlie for the year that he was bullied. Mm -hmm. In the comic series, Tao is also the person who outed Charlie to the high school. And so the complexity in the series around whether or not to tell Tao that Charlie and Nick are together is rooted in that. The fact that nobody trusts Tao to keep his mouth shut. Right. And, um... And so it's interesting to see Tao get so much more screen time and prominence in the comic, but without any of that part of the backstory. So mm-hmm. I really like TV Tao. Like, oh, yeah. I think he's, you know, I love his sort of positioning himself as the token straight friend in this friend group. And I love the way he obviously cares for and sort of bumbles his way through trying to support charlie to the best of his ability Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just interesting that they've taken out what is kind of um i guess like a thorn in his character right in the the comic series we don't have that in the tv show so i think he's actually easier to like in the tv show even though he can be overbearing right (laughs) well it's funny right because he's he stands in such stark contrast to l who is very easygoing and a little bit quiet but obviously filled with a kind of light that uh, really makes her scenes with him work well. 
And then, of course, we also have, honestly, my favorite character of the entire first season, Isaac, who... I knew you would love Isaac. Of course I would love Isaac. Yeah. (laughs) My favorite characters were Charlie's sister, Tori, and Isaac, because they both just wander into scenes and then give reactions. (laughs) And there's such a power to the visuals of seeing Isaac sitting off to the side reading and then making a quip where he's all knowing he's seeing everything that's going on and just Mm -hmm. not inserting his nose into it because it's not his business but he's there if anyone needs him and I love that kind of character I do too I also love the savviness on both Osmond and Lynn's part in creating those two characters because I mean they are clearly infinitely gifable, right? Like those right. are two social media darling characters mm-hmm. for reaction gifts. And you can you can see that piece of it, you know, in how the show is marketed and you can get stickers of both of those characters on Instagram. Mm-hmm. It's all there, <laughs> is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, so I've got two more points that I'd like to talk about. And the first one is the visual translation of the animated pieces from the comics. So we actually get animated reactions, hearts, lightning bolts, uh, you know, butterflies, birds, that kind of stuff to connote mostly the romance. Okay, I, I figured you would. I thought that it was handled with such a cute, deft touch that... Mm-hmm. You know, when it shows up, you're like, oh, it's adorable. And then as it continues throughout the entirety of the season, because I thought it was going to be like, we're doing it for the first episode. And then when it persists, I thought it's smart without being overbearing. We've seen this before in adaptations, either where there's not enough of it or there's Mm -hmm. way too much of it. And I really appreciated how exactly correct it's yes. it's sort of used to punctuate emotional high yes. points um and it works really well to that effect mm-hmm. yeah and i i think the same with musicality music is hugely important to this tv mm-hmm. show like it's montages up the wazoo with great song <laughs> choices like just perfectly selected i can't believe that there isn't a soundtrack maybe there already is but i can imagine like the Heartstopper universe in terms of commodified uh, ancillary products. Like, yeah, give me the stickers, give me the memes, give me, you know, the soundtrack and all that kind of stuff, because it seems very savvily created to be consumable by audiences. Agreed. 100% agree. Um. Okay, so now my my sort of thing that I teased off the top, my not quite bone of contention, but something that I do think needs to be addressed. This has obviously been very well received, very bingeable in terms of I've already seen people talking about how they've rewatched it, they feel sad, they go back, they watch episodes and so on. Like it's a genuine crowd pleaser. I've also seen some slightly alarming reactions where people have said finally here is a queer text that doesn't involve sex that doesn't involve profanity that doesn't involve drinking or drug abuse it's safe consumable family friendly queer content and i have a really big problem with that and that's i don't think the show's fault i think it's an audience problem Yeah, I mean, I think that's what I was getting to when I was saying, like, this is 
super super safe for straight white cis ladies to watch yeah like, mm-hmm. we're we're real comfortable with this and you know it reminds me of that sort of record scratch moment for me in love victor when we get like the education on like lube and like how Mm -hmm. anal sex works and like and it was like oh 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 oh. (laughs) this is not made for my comfort right Mm -hmm. which i think is a good thing right we've talked about the power and the importance particularly in folks who have kind of dominant cultural positioning to be uncomfortable is really important and heartstopper is not that no at any point no I think it pushes envelopes on things like, as we've already talked about, bisexual representation. I think the idea of young men and eating disorders is important, but it's pushing those boundaries within a very comfortable mm-hmm. frame Yeah, that will make it palatable to a larger audience. And, you know, we've talked about, like, there is a reason to tell stories in a way that is palatable to a larger audience. Sure. But I think what's troubling about the discourse around Heartstopper is the idea that this is somehow the ideal of queer Mm -hmm. rep, that it should all be this cozy and family friendly. I think it's really important to have a queer love story that you could sit a 12-year-old down in front of and not blink twice about. Like, I think that's really great and really important. But it's not the be-all, end-all. It's not the ideal. And Mm -hmm. Heartstopper is not the only piece of media doing that. Like most media does that (laughs) yeah um i mean i do think that this is going to be really interesting because we are going to be having some different conversations about this when we talk about love victor season three next week and yeah i mean again i don't want to come down on heartstopper because it isn't being risky and edgy and pushy the envelope i absolutely think that there is a purpose a demand and an audience for this but yeah it was that idea that well we shouldn't complicate this by introducing drugs or alcohol or sex you know and I think it's funny because I feel like the people who were making the argument have actually almost misread the show because Mm -hmm. there's so much more kissing in this show than I typically see in queer media you know often what we see is people who do a little bit of kissing and then will suggest that they're going to have sex. And I think that's what makes people uncomfortable. You know, you said like, oh, anal sex and lube and that kind of stuff. Like kissing is safe because we're not thinking about body parts going into other Mm -hmm. bodies. Mm -hmm. And yet this show is over the top with the amount of kissing that we're seeing. Like it's all kissing all the time. And I think it's funny that people are missing that. Like, there's a lot of queer sexuality. It's just, yes, it's first base queer sexuality. And there are, particularly in the third volume, when the boys go to Paris, there's a lot more discussion of, like, what they're ready for and what next steps will be. And so it'll Mm -hmm. be interesting to see if people carry their love for the series through some much more frank conversations about queer sex. Yeah, yeah. I would say one other piece that sort of like is running parallel to this, but isn't quite on the same trajectory, is that there's also a lot of people who are now demanding to know exactly how Kit Connor and Joe Locke identify sexually. Mm -hmm. And it's been interesting because Kit Connor has actually done interviews where he said he finds it really uncomfortable and also even problematic that we 
are so interested in the sexual orientation of young actors. And a lot of people will read into that to say, oh, well, they're not saying no. So that probably means that they are queer. And I think Connor has a really important point, which is that at the end of the day, this is a role. If you fall in love with the characters and you want to see that romance, then that's fantastic. What Kate Connor and Joe Locke do in their personal lives is immaterial unless we're having conversations about queer representation and maybe whether it's now possible to start seeing more young actors identify as queer publicly in their personal lives so that they can also be role models off screen. And what I'm hearing is that these two actors are not comfortable saying that or that they would prefer people to focus on their performances, in which case that is absolutely their right yeah, I, I mean, Joe Locke is out openly. And one of the things he's talked about is that representation piece of the the power of playing a queer kid from a small town when he himself mm. is a queer kid from a small town and the value right. that he finds in that. But I think what's interesting about that is that it seems from interviews anyway that it was his choice as opposed to him being sort of outed by right. media, which I find really interesting. I have to say... He was found in an open casting call for this mm-hmm. role. I could watch him all day. <laughs> I find him so magnetic. They both have chemistry, but there's something so magnetic about Joe Locke. Like, I just, yeah, could mm-hmm. watch him 100% of the time. Yeah. And also, my husband would be absolutely devastated if I didn't mention how funny we find it that every interaction the two boys have begins with them going, it's so breathy (laughs) it's adorable but also like boys just speak normally when you're around each other please (laughs) that's one of the reasons why you're like how is anybody not exactly anyone anyone paying even the the slightest bit of attention what are those two boys whispering at each other (laughs) i adore them both yeah no it's good um, shall we move into some YA bingo with Heartstopper? Yeah, let's do it. Bingo! Not a good bingo. All right, what do you have? Okay, so, um, I have stunt casting because Stephen Fry. <laughs> <laughs> and Olivia Coleman. <laughs> I know, she's also awesome, but there's something about the, like, disembodied voice of like queer icon Stephen Fry that mm-hmm. I find particularly pointed from a stun casting perspective. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, good friendships. I think both the book and the series are littered with good friendships. And that's one of the real delights of both the series. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to make a push for coincidental classes for the art teacher. Uh, okay. I know they're not like in class with him per se, but mm-hmm. the idea of that sort of one space within the school where Charlie gets to work out all his anxieties to me has the same vibe as the coincidental classes vibe. Yeah. Even to a certain extent, the rugby team Mm -hmm. where it's obviously an extracurricular sport and yet it feels like an extension of the same idea, right? Where it's a class that allows them to work through their issues. Like part of their meet cute is that Nick teaches Charlie how to tackle him. And it's like, get used to physical intimacy with another boy. <laughs> I love it. 
Um, musicality, as you pointed out, music is super important to this show and how mm-hmm. it functions, for sure. Yeah. Can we have queer secondary characters when both secondary and primary characters are queer? <laughs> I would say yes, if only because of your observation around the supporting adult cast. Because to me, it's mm-hmm. like, here's somebody who's popping in for a scene, coincidentally queer, but also extremely important in providing that kind of comfortable cushion. Mm, agreed. And then perfect date for the beach. Yes, yes. Um, technically, if we wanted to stretch it, we could say that that's a road trip, but I think it's a better it's a better version of a perfect date. And so good. Then I would say the final one maybe is obviously a Netflix connection. This was made for Netflix oh, yeah. and so publicly accessible. I think that's part of the reason why it has made such a huge footprint because it debuted on the biggest streamer. So even though this is a UK show, North Americans have absolutely gobbled this up. Yeah. Well, they're very cute with their accents and whatnot, Joe. (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) Okay. So not a line, I don't think. Uh, We got one straight down the middle. Hey, good job, Stephen Fry, for getting us that stunt casting. Is there anything you can't do? <laughs> uh, he cannot save Love, Victor, season three, which is where we're going next week. And I feel like you and I are going to have some disagreements, potentially. I don't know if, I mean, you'll probably convince me of your perspective. I just, I'm enjoying it. And as I said before, when I'm watching something made for queer teens and I'm enjoying it in a really uncomplicated way, I wonder who it's actually been made for. And so I think we're going to have some of that conversation too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we will have that conversation. I'm excited to see how it's going to go. And then the following week after that, we're doing our very first band book club full length episode, Brenna. So we're going to be reading Charlotte Roche's Wetlands and also watching the movie from 2013. Yeah, I'm excited for this one because this was brought to our attention by listeners. It's not the easiest book in the world to get your hands on a copy of. And, uh, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little trepidatious. I'm not going to lie to you, Joe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, folks, if you do have comments about Wetlands or if you've been enjoying Heartstopper, uh, Brenna, how would they communicate those feelings to us? Okay, so you can find us on the Twitters at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. But if you've got something longer, book club length emails, we'll accept those at HKHSPod at gmail.com. Joe, if they want to reach out to you specifically, how would they do that? <laughs> I can be reached at B Stone My Remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray, and that's Gray with an A. I am really glad we got to do Heartstopper, Joe. I'm glad this series exists. And I know that I have a tendency to ask for more than is strictly reasonable. Mm-hmm. But I do think there's more that Heartstopper could be doing. So I'm also looking forward to season two. Yeah, hard, Which hard has already been greenlit, by the way. Uh, seasons two and three. So clearly yes. we have stumbled onto a juggernaut. But yes, uh, I'm hoping <laughs> that the show will continue to gently push people a little out of their comfort zones yeah i hope so too all right so until next time you're watching love victor season three you're reading wetlands i will see you on the page and i will see you on the screen <laughs>